The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So this morning, uh, we're beginning a new series. We're going to spend roughly, I think, about the next 20 weeks uh, in the book of Psalms. And the reason is because I believe that this is exactly what we need right now like at this specific moment in time this is what we as a church need we need the psalter and all i really want to do for the rest of this morning is try to unpack why that is so if you haven't already i do invite you to open your bibles to psalm 1 psalm 1 i uh, i love collecting vinyl records um i i think that the reason for this is because i love albums uh, we live in a time of, you know, streaming singles and trying to collect all the singles to put together the perfect playlist. Do, do people even listen to albums anymore? I don't know. I start to feel old when I start talking about this kind of thing. But this is why I love vinyl, because it forces you to listen to the entire album. Like, start to finish. It forces you to experience the album the way the artist put it together. And I believe they put it together that way for a purpose. An album is not just a random collection of, of songs. It's, it's an artistic in, endeavor. The artist has put the whole thing together the way it is for a purpose. And I promise, for those of you who may only listen to singles, I promise that experiencing that purpose is always better. Always better than just repeatedly singing along with the single. Here's the deal. We tend to treat the book of Psalms like a random collection of singles. Uh, Psalms, the, the word basically means song. It is songs. It's Hebrew poetry. It was used as the hymn book, the worship book of the Jews. Most of the time, we, we use it kind of like a hymn book that we get to flip through and just pick out our, our favorites and just kind of put those singles on repeat. But the Psalter, I believe, was put together the way that it has been for a purpose. And Shades, I promise that purpose is better than selecting singles. The book of the Psalms has a purpose and a promise. This morning, I want us to see both. And we see them in Psalms 1 and 2. These two Psalms have been placed right here at the very beginning of the Psalter as an introduction. I say that they've been placed right here because, like I said, the Psalter's artistically assembled. Like it's put together the way it is for a reason. The Psalms themselves were written over a period of nearly a thousand years. Like from the time of Moses all the way to the time of Ezra, when the, when the people had returned from exile, you have psalms being written all throughout that period, and they're being put together as they're written in various collections, and that final collection is assembled somewhere between 400 and 300 B.C. And when that final collection, which is what we have, when it is assembled, placed at the beginning is Psalms 1 and 2. Every scholar I've read agrees. And anytime you find something that every scholar agrees upon, it's pretty settled fact because they don't tend to agree. Every scholar agrees. These were put here as an introduction. They're here to help us see the entire book. It is a book. To see the entire book of Psalms purpose and its promise. Let's start in Psalm 1 to see the purpose of the Psalms. This is where we're going to spend most of our time, and then we'll kind of wave at Psalm 2 on our way by it in just a little bit. 
So Psalm 1, see the purpose of the psalm. Psalm 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What are the purpose of the psalms? What is the purpose of the psalms? Blessing. Blessed. Ashrei the Hebrew word, not the typical one that we probably think of, Baruch, because I know all of you read it in the original Hebrew. Baruch is when God blesses us. Ashrei has more to do with what we feel. It's a state of being. The, the easiest way I could put it for you, the best I can do to define it, is fullness of joy. If you look in the New Living Translation, it actually translates this word, oh, the joys it's the fullness of joy. In other words, this is not a fleeting joy that's based on circumstances. Joy that I feel just depending upon how things are going. It's not a flippant joy that pretends like nothing bad ever happens. It's not, it's not fleeting. It's not flippant. It's firm. It's an unshakable joy that we have as people who know God. It's an unshakable joy no matter what happens. It's the kind of joy that empowers us to live out 2 Corinthians 6, being a people who are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's a joy that cannot be shaken. This is the joy that every human being longs for, spends their life searching for. And with the very first word of the book, Psalms claims to be holding out to us this joy. You want full joy forever? Psalm 1 says, let me show you how to have it. First, stop looking for it in all the wrong places. Is that not what it says? Blessed, ashray, fullness of joy has the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers you want full forever joy you won't find it walking in the counsel of the wicked better translation of wicked right there would be ungodly because when we hear the word wicked we think of like pure and utter evil and that's not what this word means it means people who don't believe in god it it means unbelievers who live their lives apart from god in other words what we're being told you want fullness of joy don't walk that's it's a poetic language we're going to find poetic language all throughout the psalms it's a poetic idiom that simply means the way of one's life. So, so in other words, don't decide how to live your life based on the counsel, the advice of unbelievers. This doesn't mean that unbelievers have nothing to offer you and me, but when it comes to the purpose of life and what gives true joy that will be full forever, the psalmist says, don't listen to their counsel when it comes to that. Because such counsel, you know what it leads you to? Standing in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners. This is an escalating triad. We get three phrases and they all intensify one right after the other because they all lead one to the next. Listening to the counsel of the ungodly leads to standing in the way of sinners. Everything intensifies in that phrase. Walk intensifies to stand. Instead of just asking for advice about the way of life, standing is stopping to consider. 
not just asking for counsel, it's, it's stopping to observe the, the lives of, of the ungodly. That's what we're told. It's counsel intensifies to weigh the lifestyle. And we're told this is not just the lifestyle of the ungodly, but ungodly intensifies to sinners, a word that means those who ignorantly or intentionally are rebelling against God. In other words, to sum up this transition for you, listening to advice about the purpose of life from those who do not know God leads to looking and lusting after the lifestyle of those who rebel against God. You see that progression. Like, like in other words... You begin listening to this counsel, and all of a sudden you find yourself stopping, standing, staring at the lifestyle. And it looks good. It looks like it leads to joy, but that's not where the psalmist says it leads. He says where it leads. The psalmist says it leads to sitting in the seat of scoffers. Once again, this is the third part, third phrase in our triad right here, and once again, everything intensifies. Uh, standing intensifies to sitting. That's, that's taking a seat at the table. That's joining in. That's sitting. You're not just standing in the way. No, you're sitting down. You're taking a seat. Way intensifies to seat. You're sitting down in a seat, pulling up a chair, and pulling up a chair with who? Not just sinners. That intensifies now to scoffers. Scoffers, this word is, is used of those throughout Scripture who actively ridicule the people of God. Who, who pick apart their, their mistakes and love to publicly humiliate and, and discredit them. Old Testament scholar uh, Alan Ross, he says that the Hebrew word here describes those who are vicious with their words, using double meanings and, and cutting taunts. Shades, do you, do you see the ever-intensifying progression that the psalmist warns against that he warns us he's warning us it will not lead to full forever joy it will ultimately lead to empty anger against everyone and everything do do you see this progression unfolding not just in the word but in our world when you look at our world through the lens of psalm chapter one do we not see this progression unfolding i'll take the easiest lowest hanging fruit on this one by way of application social media When you look at social media through the lens of this progression in Psalm chapter 1, do you not see social media offering you endless counsel on how to live your best life? I mean, there's a reason that the most popular users of these platforms are called influencers. They, they beckon you with every post. They, they beckon you to, to come walk in their counsel. Come stand in their way. Observe their life and its outcome. Isn't this what you want? Like embrace my health and wellness plan. Commit to my cause above all others. Take up and defend my political party. And shades, as soon as you pull up a chair to any of those tables, is it not anger that fills the air? Anger and scoffing against everyone and everything that doesn't share those convictions. What you started out pursuing for the purpose of full joy leaves you with empty 
anger. And often, it leaves you with anger specifically aimed at the church. Especially when we start talking about politics, right? I've seen so many believers listen to the counsel of the ungodly, stand in their way, consider their way of life, and end up sitting in the seat of scoffers, picking apart the church publicly. And I'm not saying that the church is never beyond correction. There is a place for righteous indignation and righteous anger, but righteous anger is aimed at redemption. Unrighteous anger is vindictive and aimed at destruction. Shades, for just a moment, just a moment, I want you, where you are, will you honestly take a reflection, will you honestly think about who it is that is influencing you, discipling you, leading you for for just a moment set aside for just a moment how much you agree with their content and take a look at how they are shaping your character are you filled with more joy or more anger do you exude love or seethe with hate are you a proponent of peace are always ready to pick a fight? Are you increasing in patience or in irritability? Is, is kindness your instinct? Goodness your goal? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Th- this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that I'm describing. And if it is not what is growing in us, then we need to ask what spirit is influencing us. What spirit's discipling us, leading us, shades? Do we want to be a people of full, forever joy? Then we must stop looking for it in all the wrong places, or better yet, from all the wrong people. Don't, don't give the shaping of your heart and your affections over to social media or or to the media or or to the the news or to politicians or even to well-meaning family and friends give your heart and the shaping of your affections over to god he alone can fill your heart with full forever joy this is what the psalmist tells us he tells us how god does this blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night the blessed person the one who knows true joy is the one who delights in the law of the Lord the law the Torah Torah is the Hebrew word right there you may know that the first five books of your Bible Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy those are referred to by the Jews to this day as the Torah Torah simply means instruction And so there is one sense in which we read this psalm in its original context, and when it says that the blessed one is the one who meditates on the Torah, the the author is in one sense talking about those first five books of the Bible, the Bible that the psalmist had at the time. But this psalm right here has been placed at the introduction of the entire book of Psalms for a bigger purpose than just that. I know that because the Psalms themselves are subdivided into five books. You see that right above Psalm 1? Look above Psalm 1 in your Bible. Does it not say book 1? 
flip over to Psalm, don't do this, but if you flip over to Psalm 42, you'll see book two. Flip over to Psalm 73, book three. Psalm 90, book four. Psalm 107, book five. It's subdivided into five books to mirror the five books of the Torah to signal this too is Torah, instruction. The Psalms themselves are instruction from God. They are themselves God's Word. So Psalm 1 has been put here as an introduction on purpose so that we will know true joy comes through delighting in the Torah. That doesn't just mean the first five books of the Bible. It means all of them, including the Psalms themselves. The psalmist is saying you want to seek true, forever, full joy. Meditate on these Psalms. Day and night. We are being shown right here the purpose. I told you this is what Psalm 1 shows us. We're being shown the purpose of the Psalms. They are to be our delight, leading us to full forever joy. Awesome. How does that work? Like, How do we make the Psalms our delight? The psalmist says through meditation. Yes, we talked about the Psalms were for corporate singing. They are for that. But they're also memorized for individual meditation. Now, when I say meditation, do not think about the way modern practices of meditation are described, where the goal is like to empty your mind. That isn't how the Hebrews meditated. They didn't empty their minds. They filled it with the Word. The, the very Hebrew word for meditation, it's, it's onomatopoeic. Uh, you know onomatopoeic words, uh, bam, bang, boom. I don't know why I did all Bs, but I did. Um, they're words that make the sound of, of what they're trying to represent. The, the Hebrew word here for meditation is meant to mimic the sound of mumbling, muttering underneath your breath. It... um. It's what, I, uh, it's what I heard Brad doing on the final day of our pastoral staff retreat uh, two weeks ago. Brad and I were, were sitting on the back porch of the cabin, and we were reading separately, being super godly. And, um, and I kept hearing something. I couldn't figure out what it was. And finally, I look up, and I look at Brad, and I see his lips moving. And I'm like, dude, are you mumbling? Like, under your breath? And he's like, I- I'm sorry. I don't even realize I'm doing it. Like, I just, I just naturally do this when I'm reading something that's difficult for me to understand. Because for some reason, vocalizing it helps with understanding. This is what the Hebrews did to meditate, and this is why they did it. For understanding. They would take Scripture, memorize it. They didn't all have their own personal copy. They had to memorize. They would take Scripture, memorize it, and literally mutter it, mumble it, under their breath, turning it over phrase by phrase, reflecting on it again and again so that that scripture began to shape the way they thought, the way they saw their life. It began to shape what they felt, shape their affections. And here's the funny thing, okay? As I talk about this practice of muttering meditation, we all do this. Like maybe you don't do it out loud, but our minds are always muttering. We are always talking to ourselves. Kind, 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 of, kind of like a, a car that's cranked is always idling. And even if you're not pressing the gas, it's just got that hum at where it idles. What is the idle hum of your mind? My mind. Like, 
Like, what does your mind run on and constantly turn over again and again and again? What are you always thinking about, always coming back to? I guarantee whatever it is, that's what's shaping your affections. The psalmist says, you want to have full forever joy? Make God's word the delight of your mind, the place that it goes when it's idling. Memorize the word. In the, in the early church, they made a practice of memorizing the Psalter. The Psalter. The whole thing. Like, like especially if you were going to be a minister. I was way convicted. Like, like they would say, if you want to be a minister, you want to be a pastor, you need to memorize the entire Psalter. That's basically step one. That's like baby steps. It's like, awesome. Retiring now? We like to think of ourselves as so much smarter than ancient man, and we use our brain so less. Your brain is still capable of this. So is mine. I'm not telling you you have to do this. I'm just saying. Store up. I, your word, the psalmist says, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, because it shapes me. And it shapes me to love what you love and to hate what you hate. It shapes my uh, affections. Psalmist says, make God's word your delight, the place where it goes when your mind is idling. Day and night. In other words, all the time. Meditate on this word so it shapes your affections to be full joy forever in God so that no circumstance you encounter can shake or take your faith from you. This is the purpose of the Psalms. And just in case we still don't see it, the psalmist paints us a picture. Look at verse 3. He, that's the one who meditates on the Word day and night. Here's a picture of what he's like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Through meditating on the Psalms, that is like God planting you like a tree beside the life-giving waters of the Word. The Word, the Psalms, those are the streams in this image. And they are to be the drink of our thirsty soul in every single season, we are told. This is why so many people love the Psalms. Because there are psalms, there are streams to drink from in every season of life. We are going to encounter all sorts of kinds of psalms as we go throughout the Psalter. Wisdom psalms, that's what we're in in Psalm 1. Royal psalms, that's what we'll see in Psalm 2. Psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of lament. Psalms of praise, psalms of confidence. Psalms for every season, every emotion, every inner bit of your soul's inner anatomy finds its mirror here. Is your soul parched in like a desert of depression? There's a stream for you to drink from. Psalm 42 is an oasis for my soul as it wrestles through depression. Why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. Are psalms that wrestle with depression brutally, Honestly, giving us, giving me words to pray, songs to sing that empower faith to bear fruit even in the midst of those moments, empowers joy in Jesus to endure. Are you angry? There's a stream. Are you tired? There's a stream. Are you oppressed? 
abused, tempted? Or are you celebrating, overjoyed, ready to praise? There's a stream. There's always a stream to drink from. The purpose of the Psalms is for you to be planted by streams, for your soul to drink from God's Word, so that no matter what season you're in, your faith may bear fruit. That's what we see with this tree, right? It's bearing fruit. It's prospering. It's bearing the fruit of the Spirit, like we talked about earlier, so that no matter what season you're in, your faith may bear fruit and your joy in God may endure. This tree's leaves don't wither. They endure doesn't matter how hard the wind blows joy cannot be taken or or shaken the wicked are not so says verse four they are like chaff that the wind drives away chaff chaff is the lifeless husk that would be separated from wheat at harvest time we would be harvested and smashed with a sledge and then they would throw it up in the air and the light dead chaff would blow away in the breeze and the heavier grain would fall back down the ground and that chaff the psalmist says that's the picture of the ungodly it's the opposite of the picture of the tree the tree is alive chaff is dead tree bears fruit the chaff is fruitless the tree is unshakably rooted the chaff is blown away by a breeze do you see the picture the psalmist is painting it's a picture of purpose Here is the purpose of the Psalms. To plant you by streams so that through His Word, God may be the satisfaction of your soul in every season, even the hardest ones. Even in the moment when it looks to you like the chaff is full of life. The psalmist says, just wait, the breeze will blow, the breeze is coming. And you will see that it is easily blown away and lifeless. Even if it looks to you throughout your entire life like the ungodly prosper, like the chaff is full of life and getting the most out of life, that breeze will blow if only in the end. That's what verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment at the end, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows. Yada. That's not just mere mental knowledge. That is is an intimate knowing, a a relational knowledge bound by love. Verse 6 reveals that this knowing's opposite, the opposite of this knowing is perishing. In other words, this is a knowledge that saves. The Lord intimately, relationally knows and lovingly saves those who have Him as their joy. And their joy will be full forever because He is full forever. And in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611 says. And in the end, He will win. The way of the wicked will perish. And we will have joy forever with Him. That's a promise in fact that's the promise of the psalms we've seen the purpose of the psalms to plant us by streams of god's words so that our faith bears fruit and our joy endures through every season and we can have confidence that that purpose will be achieved because in psalm 2 we see the promise of the psalms look at psalm 2 See with me the promise of the Psalms. Verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot 
Same word as meditate from Psalm 1, by the way. That's one of the ways that we know that these things are meant to go together. There are tons of linguistic tie-overs. You can even notice them in the English. But the same word for meditate in Psalm 1 is the word for plot here. This is what the wicked plot on, meditate on. Not the word, but the way to throw off the one who wrote the word. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, Mashiach. It means anointed one. You know it in English as Messiah. Or you know the Greek version, Christos, Christ. They take counsel against the Lord and against his Messiah, his Christ, his anointed king. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. In other words, they're a joke. Verse 6, God says, As for me, they're doing what they're doing, but as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is what's called a royal psalm. Okay, it has a purpose within the kingly court. This psalm, Psalm 2, was originally written to be sung at the coronation of each king from David's line. David, Israel's greatest king, he may have actually written this psalm. It actually it, it echoes language from 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 is where God makes his covenant with David, promising David that he will establish his throne and his kingdom through his sons forever, and that ultimately through him will come one who will reign forever, who will be the ultimate, the true son of God, the only begotten of the Father. This psalm celebrates the continuation. It was meant to celebrate the continuation of God's covenant promises through the Davidic kings. No matter what's going on out there in the world, no matter how the nations are plotting or raging, we are crowning another king from David's line. God's promises are marching on. No matter how much they oppose the Lord, the nations oppose the Lord, or they oppose his anointed king, his Messiah, he who sits in the heavens laughs because he is enthroned. That's what it means. He sits in the heavens. He He's enthroned there. He reigns. That's why he laughs at those who think they can overthrow his rule. He reigns. And he will, he's promised, he will install his king, keep his covenant, promise to establish his forever reign to the ends of the earth. He will keep his promise to one day end all violence, rebellion, and oppression. He will shatter all of that like a piñata. That's, that's the picture right there with the pot and the iron rod. Actually, the picture probably comes from an Egyptian custom. Uh, the Egyptians would take these little votive vases and they would write the names of all the cities that were underneath their rule and they would put them in the, uh, in the temple of their gods. And if a city rebelled, Pharaoh would go in there with a rod and he would smash it. Like symbolically showing our gods, they will crush this, this rebellion. In other words... This is a picture, an image in Psalm 2 of God's king ending rebellion, violence, injustice, oppression. It's a picture of him being the Messiah, the Christ who saves. This psalm celebrates God keeping and fulfilling his covenant promises through his anointed king. There's just one problem. There is no current king. 
At least not when the Psalms take their final shape. You remember I told you these Psalms were written over a period of a thousand years, but they come into their final form somewhere around 400 to 300 B.C. That's after Israel returned from exile, but they no longer had a Davidic king on the throne. And it was at that time, in that moment, in that situation, that it was decided Psalm 2 should be part of the introduction to the Psalter. Like, do you see the conflict there? Like, this is a time they have no Davidic king. This is a song they can't even sing. There's no coronations going on. Why put this psalm here? It's because this is the promise of the psalms. That even though the nations plot and rage, even though it looks like the wicked are winning, He who is enthroned in the heavens laughs because He reigns. And He who reigns has made a promise. His anointed King, Messiah, is coming. And He will rule the world, end all evil and injustice, and establish a reign of perfect peace. This is the double-edged promise that runs throughout the entire Psalter. God our King reigns and God our King is coming. We're going to see that again and again. No matter what the psalmist is personally experiencing, he's going to hold on to this promise that is introduced right here at the introduction of the psalms. God our King reigns. God our King is coming. I'm going to plant myself, root myself in that stream. I'm going to feed on it, drink deeply of it, so it quenches my thirsty heart no matter what season of life I find myself in. This is why Psalm 1 and 2 are the introduction to the Psalter. So that we may know the purpose and the promise of the entire book of Psalms to plant us in the streams of God's promises so that our faith may bear fruit and our joy, ashray, our joy may endure in every season. Because the Psalms, the Psalms take us through every season of life. And while it takes us through every season of life, it points us to that promise. God our King reigns and God our King is coming. They take us through every season of life. The Psalms, I told you earlier they were like an album. They're, they're actually more like a concept album. Y'all know what this is? You should concept album a concept album is where an entire album has been intentionally designed to convey a concept or my favorite way to tell a story and and really like if i was going to pick a concept album that's the most comparable to the psalms i'm going to have to go with mamma mia yeah the musical not a fan but it's a helpful illustration because Mamma Mia was made from the music of the Swedish pop group ABBA or ABBA. I don't even know how to say it. But all the songs in that musical were originally on different ABBA albums. They, they were written under various circumstances. But the musical takes all these different songs and reassembles them and uses them to tell a story. The Psalms have been put together the same way. Each of the Psalms is written in various times under various circumstances. And you can read the Psalms individually and they retain their original meaning. But they have been put together intentionally. Not chronologically, but thematically. They've been put together thematically to tell a larger story. Our story. 
story of the people of God. Book one of the Psalms thematically tracks with the life of David. After he has been anointed by Samuel the prophet, God's promised he's going to make him king, bring him into a kingdom, but none of those promises have been fulfilled. Just look at the beginning of Psalm 3. I mean, like after Psalm 2 ends on this glorious note, Psalm 3, David's like, what the heck? Where are the promises? Psalm 1 is just filled with lament after lament after lament. Occasionally you'll get a psalm of confidence thrown in there. Then by the time you get to book 2, book 2 begins with some psalms of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were Levites who were in charge of song after David had been installed as king. After the ark had come to rest in Jerusalem. So thematically, we move into the time of David's kingship. God beginning to fulfill his promises. And we go through some psalms that are climbing until we hit David's darkest day and his sin and repentance in Psalm 51. And we see David struggle until he passes the promises to his son Solomon in Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is a psalm that David wrote for his son Solomon as the kingdom passes to him and the type of king he prays that he will be. That takes us into book three, which thematically tracks with the downward spiral of the kingdom after David. The kingdom just gets worse and worse and worse until it ends in exile. Read the last psalm of book three, Psalm 89. Starts off reflecting on the great promises of God and then ends mourning about exile. None of these promises have been fulfilled. It ends with this cry of how long, how long, O Lord, until all these promises you've made come to pass because it looks like they have failed. God's people have sinned. The kingdom has fallen apart and they've been sent into exile. It looks like they will be destroyed and just disappear. That situation reminds me of when Moses wandered through the wilderness with the people and the people rebelled against God, they sinned, and God said, I'll destroy them and just make them disappear and start over with you, Moses. And Moses stood in the gap and interceded for the people. Book four begins and ends with an emphasis on the prayers of Moses, the intercessor. The people are in exile at a point when it looks like they will be obliterated and disappear. And it's as if Moses steps forward to intercede for the people once again. And what happens thematically in book four is the people that are in exile begin to reflect on the Mosaic law. And they begin to renew their faith. In faith, they begin to celebrate God as king, even though they are in exile in a foreign land without a king. They begin to celebrate God as king, to cry out for him to save them from exile, just like the prophets promised. And when you get to book five it's happened book five begins with a celebration of god's redemption bringing the people out of exile psalm 107 verses two and three let the redeemed of the lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble gathered from the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and the book book five goes on to celebrate more than just merely this return from exile it celebrates the future keeping of all of god's promises Not just that God is the king who reigns, but that he is also the king who will come. And one day we will experience the explosion of praise that happens in Psalm 146 to 150, which ends with everything that has breath praising the Lord. This is the promise of the Psalms. 
Our King is reigning and our King is coming. The Psalms plant us in that promise through every season of life because the Psalms take us through every chapter of our story, through the story of the people of God. They move us from a place of lament ultimately to a place of praise. They take us through lament and abandonment. They take us through sin and repentance. They take us through celebration and and praise. They take us all the way to the completion of redemption. And they're providing streams all along the way to empower our faith to bear fruit, to shape our affections, our love for God, no matter what season we're in, and to make our joy in Jesus endure to the end. This shade is the purpose and the promise of Psalms, to plant us by the streams of our reigning and coming King. This is why the Psalter begins with Psalm 1 and 2. Because it's an invitation. This Psalms 1 and 2, it begins this way as an invitation to you and to me and to the world to come and be planted by these streams. See that at the end of Psalm 2, verse 10. See this invitation to the world. Come, be planted here. Now therefore, O kings, those who are raging against God, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord. That's a word of worship. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's true worship. Worship that knows joy because it knows the true God who makes us tremble. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. You've seen this in movies from like medieval times, how they would kiss the hands of or the cheeks of reigning kings. It's a sign of homage and submission and worship. Kiss the son, the anointed king. Son right here, it's really interesting. In this psalm, the word son is not in Hebrew. It's in Aramaic. Why? Because that's the language of the nations. And this is an invitation to the nations. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But that's not the final word of Psalm 2. That's not the final word of the invitation. This is blessed Ashrei. Full joy forever. Blessed are all, all who take refuge in Him. You want to have full joy forever? Psalm says take refuge. It's a metaphor for trust. Take refuge, trust in the promised anointed Son of God, the Messiah who has been crowned king over all shades. He has come. His name is Jesus. Acts 13 and verse 32, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us and their children by raising Jesus. All as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Do you see what Peter is proclaiming? That when Christ was raised from the dead and ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of his father, it was his coronation day. An ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 2, Jesus Christ. Christ, the promised son of David, the Messiah, came. He bore the wrath for the sin that we deserved. He he took the path of the righteous. He knows the path of the righteous because he took it himself first so that he could make us righteous. He took our place, was died in our place, on the cross, was raised, seated at the right hand of the Father, coronated as king. He is our reigning king and he is our coming king. 
when we study Revelation chapter 19, did we not read in verse 15, it says that Jesus will come again to take possession of the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. That's straight out of Psalm 2. It's a promise that he will make all evil end and make all things new. This is his promise. This is the purpose of Psalms, to plant you in Jesus, who is the Word of God in the flesh. He is the Word. He is the living streams of water from which we are to drink to our souls, asherah, our souls, satisfaction. And this is the Psalms' invitation to the nations. Come and drink. And it's the Psalms' invitation to you. Will you come, Shades, I... I don't know. I don't know where each of you are this morning. Through all that we continue to experience in our world, through the constant shootings, through injustice, through all, through through the pandemic, through all, I don't know where you are. But I know this. I know, matter whatever season you're in, I know that this is what you need to be planted by streams. This is the purpose of Psalms, and I promise it's for you.